What a blessing it is to be here today and to celebrate the Lord. This is His day. Sunday is the Lord's day. Man has six days to do many different things, but we set apart the Lord's day. And that's why we come to give Him thanks. To give Him praise because He was willing to come from heaven and die on that cross to save us. His desire is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance and know Him in a personal way. And that is the key to heaven, to being able to go to be with Him forever, is to know Him as Lord and Savior. Before we begin the message, shall we just look to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank You for these beautiful songs we have been singing. Songs of You, Lord Jesus, giving thanks to You, crowning You with many crowns, and remembering everything that You went through. Yes, Lord, You were laid behind that stone, You were trampled on the ground like a rose, Lord, and you rose again from the dead, occupying the highest place in glory. We pray now that you will quiet our hearts before you. We pray that you will speak to us in a still, small voice, Lord, by the Holy Spirit. Lord, please hide me behind the cross that it would not be Dean's words, but your words, Lord, and that you will touch our hearts and draw us to yourself. We just pray now and give thanks for this day and commit it to you in Jesus' name. You know, we're living in some pretty serious times. Using that word serious, because it is. And serious times demand serious actions. And I really believe that God's people, not only here, but all throughout our country and all throughout the world, need to unite now more than ever before in prayer, in His Word, in spreading the good news of the Gospel. We need to get serious. There's no time to be lost, no time to be wasted. So many times in life we can waste time. You hear sometimes somebody say, I'm going to kill some time today. Who gave you the right to murder that time? God has given us time and He wants us to use it. He doesn't want us to squander it or waste it or lose it. He wants us to use it for His glory and to take our Christian lives seriously. The man we're going to look at today is David, King David, from the 139th Psalm. He took his walk with the Lord seriously. And we know that he experienced a lot of affliction, a lot of trials, a lot of difficulties, hard times in his life. And yet he could rejoice in the Lord. He could trust in the Lord. He prayed to the Lord and he took his walk seriously. The title of our message today is, Let's Get Serious. Let's get serious. Now, I know many of us are serious, and we're committed Christians, and we love the Lord, and we know Him as our Lord, as our Savior. As it says back here, Jesus is Lord. Now, that's not just a slogan. That's not just good for a bumper sticker or behind here in the sanctuary. But it should be the motto of every Christian here. Jesus is is Lord. That means He's the King. That means He's the boss. That means He's in control of our lives. And when I get in the way, I cause the problem. It's not the Lord Jesus' problem. It's mine. And so may the Lord help us to get serious for Him. Turn with me to Psalm 139. We're going to look at a couple of verses, 23 and 24 of this psalm. This is David's prayer. 
after this beautiful psalm that he has composed and sung before the Lord. And now we come to the end of it and he looks to the Lord in a prayer that is so powerful and so encouraging. Psalm 139, reading verses 23 and 24. Here King David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. May God bless the reading of His Word. When I looked up in the dictionary the word serious, I found such things as earnestness, grave, sober, not joking or trifling, not done in play, meant to be said or done in sincerity. May God help us to be serious. And if I ask you the question today, do you take your life with Christ seriously? Do you take your service for Christ seriously? It's a very important thing. And we're going to look at three simple things from this prayer that David makes. Number one, search me. Number two, try me. And number three, lead me. What a great prayer. If this was our prayer today, that God would search us, that He would try us, and that He would lead us, we would be happy. We would have His peace. We would be in the center of His will. May the Lord encourage us to have a serious walk and to take it seriously. A man named Robert M. Hutchinson once said, it's not so important to be serious as to be serious about important things. Now, I know you and you know me and I love to laugh and I love jokes and I love puns and I love all these things and there's a place for it. But in the Christian life, when we're dealing with the lives of souls of people that need to be saved, we're dealing with Christians that need to be built up. We're dealing with their personal issues. We need to take it seriously. You know, I really like the athletes. They say when they're getting ready for a big game, like ready for the Super Bowl and everything, sometimes they get aside in the locker room all by themselves and they say, I'm psyching myself up. They know that this is a serious game. The Super Bowl was last game of the season. Whoever wins will be the champion. There is no, nobody ever remembers second place in that, in that type of thing. And so they take the game seriously. Athletes do. People take things seriously in life. We need to take Christ seriously and walking with Him. Well, let's look at the first point of that this morning. David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. You know, this is a prayer that David prayed. And to pray a prayer like this, you have to be serious. To ask God to search you. To look deep into your heart and look at your motives. To look at your attitude. To look at your desires in life. Search me, O God, and know my heart. We know that God loves us so much, and yet He doesn't want to leave us the way we are. He wants us to grow. He wants us to please Him, and He wants us to serve Him. So He has to do what? Surgery on us. Now, not literal surgery, like you go to Kaiser or John Muir or San Ramon Regional and have surgery done physically. But He does spiritual heart surgery on us. And he knows where we're at, and he knows where he wants us to be. 
And where He wants each one of us to be was mentioned this morning. To be conformed to the image of Christ. That is a process of time. Sylvia spoke recently, I understand, on Thursday about breaking. If we want to really be serious with the Lord, we have to allow Him to break us. It's painful. And when God searches our hearts and looks to us, He's going to do His surgery on us. Notice in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 3, we see that David says the same kind of thing at the beginning of this psalm. He says, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought from afar. You comprehend my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my life. There's nothing that you can do today or tomorrow or any day of your life that God doesn't already know everything about it. He knows everything about it. He loves us. He wants the best for us. How we can ever think we can hide anything from Him, we can't do that. But David invites the Lord to shine the light of His Word down on his heart. You have to be serious to ask the Lord to do that. It's like when you pray for patience, you can know that God's going to send circumstances to develop that faith. Or if you pray for humility, God's going to send circumstances into your life or people into your life that will humble you. God takes our prayer seriously. So if we're going to offer a serious prayer to the Lord like David did, we better be expectant to receive the answer like David did. Search me, O God, and know my heart, he said. I like what Job said in Job 31.4. He says, Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? The other day I was talking to Mike Puzon and he says he has one of these little pedometers and he can tell how many steps he takes every day by this little pedometer. Well, you know what? God knows how many steps you're going to take today. He knows where you're going to go. He knows what you're going to do. He knows what you're thinking. He knows your motives and desires. And God loves you. And He loves me. And that's why He sent the Lord Jesus down to this world to die for us so that we wouldn't perish in hell forever, but have everlasting life and be with Him. So that when we come together like this, this is just a foretip taste of what we're going to get when we're in heaven. We read about it at the breaking of bread. Jim shared it with us today. The myriads of angels and glorified saints worshiping the Lord. We're going to be there. Does He have a place at the table for you? You know, sometimes you go into these formal events like wedding uh, dinners and so forth like that. We had one recently. And you go to the table and you look for your name. And you find where you're seated. And you say, oh good, I found my spot. Dean Allen. It says it right there. Or it says... Melissa not, Mike Hyde. And it's neat. You find your place and you sit there and you enjoy a beautiful time. How sad wouldn't it be if you were to, the Lord were to give you a dream and you were to look and you were to look at the table that the Lord had set up in heaven and He had all the people there and you were looking for your name and you couldn't find it. And you said, well, it must be here somewhere. You couldn't find it. That would be a nightmare. May God help us to know Jesus Christ so that we know that our names are written in the book of life and they're there at the table. You sometimes see these pictures with these long tables furnished beautifully. That's what heaven's going to be like. We're going to feast on all the riches that the Lord has for us. But we have to know Him as our Lord and Savior. David also said, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. 
you know, I really appreciate Mike Souza because when I was changing from Kaiser to another plan, I have the Anthem Blue Cross now because at work they they switched over. They don't have it anymore. So I decided to change because it's very expensive to buy health care on your own. It really is. So when your company pays for most of it, it is fantastic. So I went to this new doctor. His name is Dr. Calvin Lemon. Alicia and Mike go to him and he, Mike recommended him. Fantastic doctor. I mean, I went in there and he gave me a physical like I can't even maybe imagine ever having before. So thorough. And he took time to talk to me and listen to my concerns and go over everything. And he's a great doctor. But we have an even greater doctor. We have Dr. Jesus. He's the great physician. And when we come to him, we don't come to him for a physical exam. We come to him for a spiritual exam. And we ask the Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Check me out. I mean, they checked me out at that hospital. I went in for uh, echocardiogram, and I went in for the carotid artery, and they checked all these things. And I was in there for a long time being checked out on my heart. How about my spiritual heart? That's the key. How is our heart? Is our heart right with God? Is our heart pleasing to God? Is our heart doing the things for others? That's the question. It's not so much going for a physical, but going for a spiritual and having the Lord check us out. You know, none of us can say, oh, I got a great heart. You know, I mean, my heart is perfect and everything. You know what the Bible says about the human heart? Jeremiah said it very well. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Is that describing my heart? Yes. Is that describing your heart? Yes. But when we get saved, He forgives us of every sin. He changes our heart. He gives us a new heart and a new life. He goes on to say, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. I like what Brother Spurgeon said about David. He said, he will have God himself search him and search him thoroughly till every point of his being is known and read and understood. For he is sure that even by a careful investigation, there will be in him no complicity with evil men. He goes on to say he challenges the fullest investigation, the innermost search. Yes, God puts us through the test. He searches us. And we say, Lord, search me. Because we're not perfect. We will never be perfect until we get to until then, it's all a growth process. We might say a wrong word. We might say do something bad. We might get in trouble. But the thing is, God loves us. He forgives us. But He says, take your walk with me seriously, and I will search your heart, and I will show you what needs to be changed. And we all have things to change. And change is hard to do. Hard to do. But the Lord says, change is good when it's a good change. It's not just changing, but changing for the better. And he wants to do that in our lives. Are you willing today to ask yourself this question? Am I willing to let God search me? Not just once, but every day. Search me, O God, and know my heart. That is the beginning of David's final prayer here. Secondly, he says, try me. Now, I don't know about you, but trials aren't very pleasant, are they? They're painful. They're difficult. They last a long time sometimes. And we go through them. 
and we say, Lord, could you turn down the heat just a little bit here in this uh, fire I'm going through? And the Lord says, leave it to me. I know what the setting should be. And he knows how much to dial up in terms of the trials in our lives and how much prosperity and blessing. And he has the perfect balance for us. The perfect balance. And that's why David says here, try me and know my anxiety. You know, I think of all of us, if we were to be really honest, have anxiety in our life at times. Some more, some less. And that's why throughout the scriptures you see passages about anxiety. That's why Paul, when he talked to the Philippians, he says, be anxious for what? Nothing. That doesn't always speak for me. I'm sometimes anxious about something. But when I get anxious and I get troubled, I always remember to get down and pray about it because the Lord is the one who's in control of it. And that's why David says, try me and know my anxiety. God already knows all our problems and all the things we're going to go through, even things we don't know about it will happen tomorrow at work or at school or at home. He already knows about it. You know, we were really concerned about Kathy the other day, and we have this new one-call system. Well, it's not new now. We've been using it. We can send out a prayer request, and we all prayed for Kathy. She had bumped her head and had to go to the hospital, and she's okay, and she's here today, and praise God for that. We have a great communication system. Well, God loves us so much, and he knows our anxieties. He knows what we go through. And so if you pace the floor, or if you stay up in the night and you can't sleep, just remember this passage, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what do we get in return? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. Isn't that a good verse, Mike? Mike loves that verse too, as I do, and these verses in Philippians, because whatever we go through, and remember who wrote it, the Apostle Paul. Remember where he wrote it from. He was in prison. Remember how he went through all those experiences, difficulties and things, but he could still say rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again I say rejoice. Because he knew the Lord was taking care of his every problem and his every difficulty. Think about the Israelites for a moment. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. They, they made a journey that could have taken 11 days and, they, and God stretched it into a journey of 40 days years. Eleven days or forty years. I think if you had your choice, you'd take the eleven days. As hard as eleven days would be, it'd be better than forty years. It would be easy. I would rather have it short. We'd all like to go home right now to heaven and sing God's praises, but he's left us here. And we have to go through these things and the world is watching us and we want to be a blessing. And so in Deuteronomy 8.2, Moses told the new generation, the ones who were the young people growing up, he said, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. The Lord says, all this 40 years was a time of testing. If you ever find the number 40 in the Bible, it's a number of testing. It's a number of judgment. And so they went through 40 years of traveling. And God says, I want to test them to see if they're going to really believe in me, really trust in me or not. And we know that they blew it. 
they complained, they murmured, they said, now we don't have water, now we don't have food, and they were worrying about all these things. And yet the Lord says, I'm going to test them. I'm going to humble them. Things to see whether they're going to love me. Isn't that the story of Job? I mean, Job had a great life. Everything was perfect. Family, his kids, his business, everything was just first rate. I mean, everything was great. And all of a sudden, Satan. And when God was talking about Job, he says, Well, if, if you take away all these things for Job, he'll curse you. He won't love you anymore. You've blessed him. You've put a hedge around him. And yet God says, Okay, go ahead, Satan. And then when that didn't work, then he said, okay, yeah, okay, he didn't curse you. But touch his body, and then you'll see what will happen. Give him a disease. And so he allowed Satan to put boils all over the body of Job. Can you imagine? And they weren't just boils, they were painful boils. And yet, even in that, Job did not curse God. He didn't lose his faith. He got very depressed, very discouraged. But he kept holding on to the Lord. And he could say, I know my Redeemer lives. Because he said, no matter what I go through in this world, I'm trusting for a world beyond. And I know God's going to bring me through it. And so Job went through the trials of his life and he taught us through it to trust in the Lord as well. Yes, he says, try me and see or know my anxieties. And then he mentions in verse 24, and see if there is any wicked way in me. As I mentioned before, when we get saved, we have a new nature. We get saved, we have a new heart, we have a new life. But does God take away the old nature? That's one question I'd like to ask the Lord. I'd say, Lord, wouldn't it have been great if you could have taken away that old nature so I would not sin anymore or have problems with my thought life or all these things, it would be so much easier. No. The Lord says, I'm going to give you the old and the new simultaneously. And as you grow and as you feed on my word and trust in me, that new nature will put to death the old nature. It will, but it has to be crucified on a daily basis because that old nature raises up its ugly head and causes us so many problems. It's the old nature. And so we have to be so careful and take our walk with the Lord so seriously as we trust in Him. You know, it's very easy to point out the flaws and faults in other people, isn't it? Very, very easy. But when you turn the searchlight on to ourselves, it's harder to spot them. It's harder to spot our flaws, our weaknesses, our sins and our problems. And so the Lord says, I'm going to deal with you patiently mercifully and graciously on a daily basis. And he does that. God doesn't come down heavy upon us. He loves us, but he gently corrects us. And if we don't take the gentle correction, he'll give the stern correction. But praise be to God, he loves us that much. A man named Thomas Wilson said, a fault which humbles a man is of more use to him than the good things which puff him up. Yes, a fault which humbles a man is of more use to him than a good action or a good thing which puffs him up. Because when things happen to us, we get successful, we start getting puffed up. I did it. I got that promotion. I did this. I got this raise. I accomplished this. I sold this or that. God always wants to allow these things to happen to us so we will realize it's not us, it's the Lord. 
I like this old Chinese proverb that says, Think of your own faults in the first part of the night when you were awake and the faults of others in the latter part of the night when you're asleep. I thought that was really good. Think of your own faults in the nighttime when you got your full faculties. Think of your own faults and how God wants to deal with you. And then when you're sleeping, you can think of the faults of others. I thought that was very, very good. May the Lord encourage us to do that. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, once said, He that does one who and he that does one fault and tries to hide it makes it two. Makes it two. Isn't that what happened to David? We think of David, he was a great king and he wrote the Psalms and everything, but remember he committed adultery and he committed murder. And it's shocking. If this would happen in society today, it would be over all the internet, it would be on the tabloids, it would be on the news, it would be everywhere. Did you hear about King David? They didn't have all of that back in those days, but it was exposed. And God exposed it because he loved him and he didn't want him to go without repenting and being restored to him. I like this humorous story I found about a lady named Carolyn Hagen. One day, as a little girl, she said she accidentally broke a fruit jar. And several of her brothers and her sister were nearby, and they could have done it. But her father looked at her in the eye and said, Did you break the jar, Alice? And she looked into his large brown eyes, and she wanted to excuse it, but she says, No, I've got to be honest. She says, I broke the jar. The love in his eyes, she said, rewarded me and embraced me. Suddenly I felt an inner peace that I can still recall with gratitude to this day. And isn't that the way God is? When we come to him with our sins and we our mistakes and our failures, he doesn't come with sternness, with a rod to beat us. He says, I forgive you. And that's what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. He died on that cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. He loves us. He doesn't want to treat us with sternness. He wants to treat us with mercy. And that is a blessing. And so we see here in this passage, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And then the final point is, And lead me in the way everlasting. I mentioned the Israelites. And you know, I really think the Israelites had it better than we do in some ways. And you know, here's the key. Because whenever the Israelites were to go anywhere, they had to wait till the pillar of cloud moved. And as soon as the pillar of cloud moved during the day, then they were to set out and move. Or at night, if they were to move at night, there was a pillar of fire. And then it was easy. We know it's time to go. It was real easy. I think it's harder for us. Because we don't have it written like that. It's not that clear. We have to get our guidance from the Word of God. We have to get our guidance on our knees as we pray and as we seek godly counsel. And then we can know that we're in the will of God. And He wants to lead us in the right path, in the right way. Yes, He is in control of our life. The hymn writer said, He leadeth me, He leadeth me. Oh, words of heavenly comfort wrought, whatever I do, wherever I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. You know, if we want God to lead our lives, it's not going to always be easy. It's not always going to be what we consider fair or right. Because God has a plan for our lives and He knows what to allow in our lives. Sometimes if we were to choose it, 
we would choose it a different way. But God says, I know what you need and I'm going to give you what you need. He's the shepherd and we're the sheep. And so we can trust in him. I found a poll that was taken. Listen to this. In 1981, the Ladies Home Journal took a poll and they asked this question of all the respondents. In whom do you trust? Now, this is 1981. And I would venture to say it would be worse today than even 1981. Okay. Number one on the list with the highest percentage of votes of in whom do you trust? Walter Cronkite with 40%. Now, believe me, I like Walter Cronkite and I used to watch his news report. That's the way it is. You know, he sign off every time like that. He was good, but he's a mortal man. I mean, 40% said they would trust in Walter Cronkite. Number two came in at 26%, Pope John Paul. Now, if you're looking for a religious man who's respected throughout the world, that was John Paul. And he recently died not that long ago. 26% said, I would put my trust in John Paul. Third place. Now we're getting a little closer, but third place at just 6%, Billy Graham. Now, many of us, we all know Billy Graham. He's a godly man. He preaches the gospel. I mean, this is, this is great. But only 6% said I, they would put their trust in Billy Graham. Number four, and sadly, in fourth place at 3%. Now, get this. This is 3% of the respondents to the Ladies Home Journal article of 1981. 3% God. 3% said they would put their trust in God. That, to me, is sad. That's tragic. That's miserable. Because it should be 100% of us should say that we put our trust in God. I mean, we even have it on our coins and currency. In God we trust. But do we really trust? Or is it just the slogan of the money and so forth? Do we as individuals really say, I'm going to put my trust in God? Because we know that he never fails. He never fails to come through and he never uh, leaves us. It should be 100%. We, should have, we can have 100% confidence in him. Yes, Spurgeon once said, By thy providence, by thy word, and by thy grace, and by thy spirit, lead me forevermore. If we ask God to lead our lives, he's going to lead us in a straight path. He's going to say, Dean, I don't want you to veer off to the left and I don't want you to veer off to the right, but take a straight path. It's a straight and narrow path. And that's why so many people don't want to come to Christ. They say, well, I want to live my life. I want to do what I want to do. And I don't want to be restricted. Well, you know what? Okay, you can have that. But you're on a broad road that leads to destruction. But when you come to Christ, you're on a narrow road that leads to eternal life. There's fun on that road. Did you know that? There's happiness on that road. There's peace on that road. There's life and eternal life on that road. And so many people get the wrong impression of Christianity. Think you guys, all you do is go to meetings. You don't have fun. You don't do this or that. We have the best life. Because we have Christ in our lives. We have each other. And we have all the blessings that he gives us. So let's remember these three things today. And ask God to do it. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Know down deep what makes me tick. And then deal with me, Lord. Change me thoroughly. 
We were going to sing a song today, but we put it aside for another time. It says, change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. May I be like you. And he wants to change me. He wants to change you. He wants to to do that. And he wants to try us. And so many times he puts us in the into the fire. He puts us into the flood. He puts us into these things that we go through. Not to hurt us, but to grow us and make us depend on him. Because when everything is hunky-dory and everything's going fine and good, we don't trust God. And that's where the test really comes in. And I really believe that sometimes God tests us with prosperity as well as with adversity. And I really believe that that test in prosperity is even more challenging because when you're succeeding and you're number one and everything's going well and you've got the money and all these things are just lined up, that's when we don't pray as much. That's when we don't rely on God as much. That's why we think we're doing okay. So he tests us with prosperity to see how we do. And then he also tests us with adversity, knowing that we need that in our lives. So may the Lord help us to get serious today. Serious about our Christian walk. Praying to the Lord to change us and mold us into the image of his Son. Knowing that one day we will be in his presence forever. And one day he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come into the home that I have prepared for you. May the Lord encourage us today to be serious in our walk. Shall we just look to the Lord in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for David and we thank you for his experiences. And if he hadn't experienced some of these things in his life and all the trials and difficulties with Saul and Absalom and all the things he went through, we wouldn't have these wonderful and beautiful psalms. And we thank you for David's prayers. Before he did anything, he would pray and he would seek your will. And we just pray, Lord, that you will search us today and know our hearts, that you will look down deep in us, Lord, and and that you will show us our flaws and our weaknesses so that we can grow and change. And we pray that you'll test us and try us, Lord, and, and show us our anxieties so that we can bring them to you and ask you to take over. And we pray, Lord, that you will lead us today. Lead us in your way of truth and righteousness and holiness. Help us to be a blessing, Lord, to the people around us And Lord, we give you all the glory. And we pray, Lord, that we will be serious in our walk, in our talk, and in every way we live our lives. We ask this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.